Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast for another fresh epi, fresh week. Here we are. We, we are here. We are doing the damn thing. You know, it's somehow October. And I don't want to talk about it. But you know what? You no, know it makes me really happy about that. Like, I'm not really one of those, like, like fall stand type people. Like, I'm not that. Yeah, but I do love Spooktober. And there's a very specific reason for that. It's because I can call burritos boo-ritos for an entire month. And no one can yell at me. Because I, I don't accept that. You're just, I, and the thing is too is you're gonna spend an entire week with me. I in like don't, a week. and I won't accept that. And you're gonna be sad. I mean, every time we go past a burrito place, I'm gonna go, "Oh, look, it's a burrito. We can get a burrito." And this is how I die. I'm gonna pull you your going hair every me. time you say. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> if you see some like light violence on the streets of New York it's next fine. week, it is. Absolutely, Absolutely you witnessing me going burrito and Maddie being like, I am canceling you. Immediately so. no. Immediately no. Well, Wait, speaking, okay. speaking of next week, though, is October 16th. If you're in the New York area, we're having a super awesome event with the Down Ballot and Carla Davis, and it is called Pre-Game and Politics. You guessed it. We're pre-gaming. We're politicking. We're doing all the things. We are going to have a super awesome panel with four amazing women candidates that are running for various offices from congressional to city council to mayoral, the whole nine yards. And we will be having drinking games and so much fun, aka there's going to be quite a few spots to take some cool TikToks, take the IGs, you know the deal. The link to tickets is obviously in our bio for all of our social media and then of course in the description here get them before they sell out because they are very much on their way to doing that so you don't want to miss out you want to meet us you know probably see our bad jokes in person this is this is moment one if you are in the new york area but here's where i go future and that is you are a listener of the pod and you are like okay pre-gaming politics or honestly like just politics in a fun state of mind sounds up my alley can you please come to my city please dm us let us know where you're from let us know if you you know want an event in your neck of the woods definitely come through and we would love to meet you guys and have a few drinks and talk politics that's the vibe that's it and bring your friends this is a great like moment like if you have a friend that's like kind of interested in politics or i'm curious but they're like a little on the fence this is a great moment to like get them over the fence because it's like this is you get to do other things that aren't just politics at the same time i just yesterday instagram was down and it was kind of amazing i was actually imagining a world without instagram and facebook and it just looked so beautiful and hopeful it was weirdly like i didn't quite realize how relaxing it was like it was like you've like, I felt very untethered it was very bizarre mm-hmm. despite like us having a million other things you know running around with our heads chopped off but like yet still felt like a lot less like yeah and Instagram is just always the one that's causing the most problems for us and the most headaches and so I was like just imagining a world where we didn't have to deal with that anymore along with obviously all the like social um, impact that would come from <laughs> the lack of Instagram but Nevertheless, there was also some other interesting stuff that has happened this week. Tomb of the Unknown Soldier has its first all-female guard change. And before you're like, what? Is this Buckingham Palace? Like, 
let's explain here because for the first time in 84 years the tomb of the unknown soldier had an all-female guard change 84 years i guess aka this is some math that is way beyond my scope but 30,770th day of continuous guarding and all-female guard change took place and the tomb of the unknown soldier is a memorial in arlington national cemetery that is meant to honor unidentified service members who died in combat and the memorial typically draws large crowds of tourists and chelsea porterfield was the first ever woman to serve as sergeant of the guards so that's just like a fun little monumental moment again why did it take 84 years who knows but you know we'll take all the wins we can get we can and cheesy me just would love to say like how like i like how it's monumental like monumental moment at a moment that's punny he 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 okay but punny things aside we also have some interesting little mm, i want to call it tea like it's something between news and tea but good old andrew yang has officially broken up with the democratic party look like i i don't know like if he's going to need some, like, if anyone, more like the Democratic Party is going to need, like, some ice cream to get through this breakup or yeah. what maybe, you know, some chick flicks or something. I, I'm not sure. But here's sort of the deal. So the former presidential and New York City mayoral candidate announced that he was like, see ya, bitches. Like, I'm not hanging out with the Democratic Party anymore. And he changed his voter registration. And he said, I've been a Democrat my entire adult life. And yet I'm confident that no longer being a Democrat is the right thing, which is like, whoo, Okay. All right, throw that fire. There you go. And he is planning on forming a third party based off his experiences being in the Democratic Party. He has named this called the Forward Party. I'm just going to like asterisk here and throw in my opinion, which is called he didn't ask me about the branding. And I just, I just don't love it. I actually have some tea that I might be able to spill regarding this, this topic, because I worked for Tom Steyer's presidential campaign and him as well as Andrew Yang, were two kind of outsiders with very innovative thinking and ideas that were definitely progressive, but not fully in line with the Democratic Party, aka like breaking the corporate stranglehold, universal basic income, these things that, you know, are are against the status quo. And When you think about the Democratic Party and why someone would leave it, especially someone who has now experienced running for president, running for New York City mayor, very tied up and probably a lot of run-ins with the DNC. Mm. And from working on that campaign, I know that Tom and Andrew Yang both struggled with getting the... Hmm, attention that you know they they needed and they deserved because they weren't establishment they weren't establishment democrats and you know now seeing him make this move is just very interesting and makes you think and i'm sure he as well as you know what we experience on tom's campaign has experienced a lot of pushback from the dnc perhaps roadblocks and restrictions on getting his ideas through so yeah it's just interesting to dive dive in there because i know his campaign also kind of struggled with the dnc the way that that tom's did and other honestly throughout history any kind of outsider that comes in that has new ideas and wants to kind of change the status quo the powers that be say shh don't go there i'm gonna shut you up so just, I, just something to consider. I do think it's interesting what he also said part of this focus was on. And it's really going to be centered around trying to make open primaries more of a thing and ranked choice voting. So that has been a push in various states, both of those things, cities as well. like Which is like the DNC very, and establishments like worst nightmare because, you know, they – the idea of someone coming through the ranks through ranked choice voting or through open primaries and the DNC loses their control of being able to really pick which candidate they want to win that primary because they do have the biggest say, aka Joe Biden winning yeah. after he was not winning for a long time in the primary. So aka the way Bernie Sanders has kind of been pushed to the side a lot as well. So it's just food for thought, you know? food for thought 
All right, so we will finally introduce our guest. I know you guys are probably like, shut up enough. <laughs> get to it. We get it. We get it. It's fine. We're getting to it. And this week, we were able to speak with a really amazing immigration lawyer who is focused on Haitian immigrants at the moment at the border. So, of course, very timely. We wanted to give you guys some of that background as to what on earth is happening there, what's been happening, what's probably going to happen in the future, all of that context that we feel like we've really been missing and have so many questions about. So, without further ado, this is Merlan Joheem. Hi, my name is Milan Joachim. I'm an immigration attorney located in New York City. I started my own firm about in 2012, primarily just doing immigration work, Joachim Law Office. I work with asylum seekers, refugees, family petitions. I'm just in, in the immigration field besides business law. Business immigration is the only immigration I do not practice. Um, yeah, I'm a sole practitioner. I do not work for any of the nonprofit organizations. I work alongside them since the Del Rio crisis, we'll call it that, occurred early, what, late August? Yeah. So, but yeah, but I do not work for any nonprofit. I'm a completely sole practitioner. And most of my work that I'm doing at Del Rio is actually pro bono. Okay. Oh, wow. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. That's actually well, a good question, though, is like, how do you work with like nonprofits or sort of like alongside them? Like, what does that actually like look like? I feel like in terms of like the legal atmosphere there, like, how do lawyers get involved? How do you even like get in contact with people there that need legal help? Okay, so my experience is a little different from most people, I believe, because I, so I had a couple of clients in Del Rio and I needed some information and I reached out to a friend who's into foreign policy and policy writing and she knew a couple of nonprofits. So I reached out to her to her, I need help. And so she reached out to her um, contacts in these other nonprofits. And that's how I got plugged into a lot of the nonprofits that were working in a Texas area. That's amazing. In a democracy, we all have citizen power. We just need to know how to use it. Yet, if you feel fed up or confused by the U.S. government, you're not alone. Most voters feel powerless, especially when lobbyists and special interest groups seem to control the levers of government more so than the people. But your voice and your vote matter. When you understand how the government actually works, you can have a surprising amount of influence. Citizen Power with Natalia Ramos and Ben Sheehan is a 10-day course, signed for free, here, aka in that link in our bio, that offers the civics education you missed or you may have forgotten from high school. This is not just about facts and dates. It's about giving you back your power as a citizen to move forward the issues you really care about. By taking this course, you'll learn what should be taught in civics class, but isn't, your rights and powers as a citizen, how you can have the most influence over your elected representatives, real actionable steps you can take to influence policy, and the confidence and conviction to contribute to the future of democracy. You are the CEO of your elected officials, and it's time to make sure your voice is heard. So head to the link in our episode description to start your amazing civics class today and get the first five days free. Again, head to that link in our episode description and get five days free. All right, guys, do you need stress relief, sleep support, recovery, mood boosters, or even some new incredible skincare? Prima has amazing doctor-formulated, clinically validated, and high-performance CBD products for the skin, the body, and the mind, you guys, and it comes in so many forms. So we have CBD supplements to bath bombs, body lotions, skincare. I've gotten some serious relief from stress, hangovers, anxiety, even PMS with this stuff. So give it a shot. Prima has recently been selected as one of Sephora's top 10 brands that meet their rigorous clean standards by priding themselves on sustainable farming practices, being carbon neutral, 100% clean with strict safety standards, which is all so, so important to us. So there's also some big news because Prima has launched an app that offers self-care in the palm of your hands and allows you to shop with ease, access exclusive content, and much more. So lucky for us, you can enjoy the relief of the best CBD products out there because Prima is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time 20% off offer with the code GIRLGOV. So head to Prima.co, feel better every day. Well, let's definitely get into 
kind of all of this in this topic because it's so important, so pertinent right now, obviously, like you said, late August. So can we get into our I Have a Stupid Question segment? Because I feel like I do. We know we talked to a lot of our followers on Instagram who were very confused or wanted more information on on this story. So to get it started, can you explain what is asylum? Sure. Asylum is the when a person is seeking protection from a nation, from persecution from their home country. And that persecution is based on five, what's the word, five subjects, like race, religion, political, and social groups. There's a, there's a fifth one, I can't remember right now what it is. But uh, yeah, so basically, if you're being persecuted, you see the from the government or social group, or I'm persecuted because of your race, your gender, gender was a fifth one, because of your sex. I've had clients from who were seeking asylum for protection from their home country because of early forced marriage or, you know, female mutilation. So running away from that country because they know if they stay, they might be harmed or, you know, be killed, be thrown in jail, um, be hurt by even their own family. They can be running away in that country, not just from the government, but from their own family. So that's what asylum is. And that that getting granted or approved of asylum is the U.S. or another country giving you that protection and saying, yes, you can stay in our country and then we'll provide you with legal documents for you to stay. Yeah, wait, I also had a question. So is asylum kind of different per country or those five things you mentioned? Or is that U.S. specific or is that kind of a U.N. thing? Like, how does that work? That is U.S. specific, but it is adopted it's like kind of like a common law throughout all mm-hmm. most nations. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Wild. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, rolling it back to the U.S. specifically, what is Title mm-hmm. 42? Everyone's talking Title 42 this, Title 42 that, but like, what actually is it? This I had to also learn for myself. It's something I've just, it's so new. Well, Title 42 is a section of the Public Health Act of 1944, from what I understand. I read a little bit about it, but specifically Title 42 just gives the saying that there is a public health crisis in terms of, you know, there's a disease or a public health crisis and they need to quarantine and they're not allowing someone to enter the U.S. because of this public health crisis. Like this is a communicable disease that can be spread. And so we are not allowing this person to enter the U.S. under the public health crisis. So Title 42 just gives them that power to um, the authority to not allow someone in a foreign okay. so that, like, national in Title 42 can like trump any asylum, I guess, qualifications or Well that's the well, that's the conflict. That's the yeah. struggle right now. Um they're using Title 42 to expel people from the US saying that so not giving them affording them the right of asylum. But if the CDC should have made a choice like, is this communicable disease like what are the steps, right? Like did you do testing? Because yeah. you're saying COVID-19 is this disease that's communicable and it can be spread and we're trying to prevent it and this country's in a quarantine state. But we have ways of going around COVID-19. Now we know more about it. It can be tested. There's vaccinations. Mm-hmm. There's different, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so there's different ways to deal with COVID-19. Yeah. Especially using, right now. I feel like especially, we have, yeah, it's kind of... exactly getting a little better, especially in certain spots. We're starting to get, you know, the kind of rapid testing, the vaccinations rolled out. So at this point, are we at the same place when Title 42 was initiated? No, not really with COVID. So there are things that could be done to help asylum seekers, but also be careful with COVID, so. Right. Yeah. And not affording someone the right for screening of asylum is an issue. Because then you're sending them back to a country where they, they might be harmed. So next question is, what is a deportation proceeding? Deportation proceeding is a process. It is a process that immigration um, courts use to determine if someone should be removed outside the U.S. Mm -hmm. and based on the the, based on categories. Right. So so the first the proceeding is an NTA. You get a notice to appear. They give you a court date. You appear before a judge. You make your um, claim. So you get an opportunity to say, this is why I should stay. Because the government is saying, basically, we want to remove you for X, Y, Z. And then whether you affirm or deny those those claims, or you can say, well, yes, I did come in illegally, or I did come in undocumented, or yes, this happened, yes, that happened, and I should be removed. However, this is my relief. 
and asylum is one of those affirmative reliefs, right? Because you can say, however, even though I didn't come in the proper channels, I have, I'm requesting asylum. So that's another type of relief or I'm requesting whatever other relief there might be. There might mm-hmm. be. So you get to, you get your day in court, basically. They hear, you know, a judge hears you or an officer hears what you have to say and you have your evidence, you have your witnesses, whatever it is. And then they make a determination whether this, your belief or your claim is valid and we approve it. And then you're no longer in removal proceedings and they grant you to stay in the U.S. Or they say, no, it's not. And then they request you to be removed. That Mm -hmm. is wild. And moving to sort of another term that I feel like is really out there that I'm like, what does this mean? Like, I feel like I can make asses, but like, what does temporary protected status actually mean? Okay, so yeah, that was a special little one. Temporary <laughs> TPS, TPS, temporary protected status. So for whatever reason, the U.S. can decide that, okay, you might not be here legally, but there's a condition in your country that is so bad that you cannot go back to it. And therefore, we're giving you temporary protected status in the U.S. means you get work authorization, you can work and live here without fear of deportation, without fear of being put in removal proceedings temporarily for whatever length of time needed for whatever should the condition of the country to change. But it's not actual immigration status. I mean, mm-hmm. it is immigration status, but it's not giving you permanent residency here. So that's why it's 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 temporary. It could be a two year, three year, four year, depending. Okay. Are there is there a difference between like asylum or temporary protected status, or how do, how do those go hand in hand? Mm. Okay. So asylum, when you're asking for asylum and they approve your case, you have the opportunity to file and become a permanent resident, then become a U.S. citizen. A temporary okay. protected status, you're still an immigrant status, and but you have just have the right to stay here without the fear of being okay. removed, the fear of immigration deporting you. Gotcha. Okay, that for makes a ton a, of sense. a period of time. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, perfect. We did have an Instagram question about this, mm-hmm. and that is, why can't we offer everyone asylum? Like, what is the harm there? I know this is a political question in a lot of ways, but what do you think? I That question is really hard. Like, why can't we grant everyone asylum? We can. I don't know why we don't. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can say there's a security issue. You know, they have to vet everyone that comes in, which is fair. I am in agreement with that. I think you should, um, if you're saying that your country is so bad, you can't stay in it, but you have to prove that as well. You know what I mean? Right. Like, what's the conditions of the country? What? And then these are things that are in place already in, mm-hmm. in the U.S. And But if, if it's just because I just don't feel like living in that country anymore, I'm just going to say that... I want asylum because you just don't feel like being there. Then, you know, like, well, that's just your point. You're, you're shopping, basically. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't like it here. I'm going to go over there. And, and and that's it. And so, and then I'm just going to use the word asylum just to do whatever I want. Does that happen, and like, I think often? That, like, is that, like, kind of, like, a common thing? Or is it typically, like, more like people seeking asylum, like, really are, like, fleeing, like, insane hardships? The latter. I find that most of, at least my clients and most, Asylum seekers have a legitimate claim to why they were fleeing. I mean, uh, I was speaking, side note, I was speaking to a friend regarding, you know, like the difference between, and he was making the point that, you know, Canada and the U.S. and most Western European countries don't understand what the West of the world is going through, like in terms of economic um, instability, you know, like clean water and poverty and all these different things. And also just the freedom to just speak your mind and in your thoughts and you can talk about whatever you want without the fear of the government listening or mm-hmm. you know like want to imprison you or whatever you're saying might be wrong in some you know most some countries it's like that so there's like this fear and the poverty the clean water kidnapping the drug trafficking the sex trafficking those things are actually real issues that's having all over the world even in the u.s sex trafficking in queens new york this, this is happening even here in the U.S., but it's so prominent and so blatant in those other countries, the fear. And there's no there's no safety from the government. You know, there's no protection from the government. And so those things are people's everyday lives in South America, Central America, the Caribbean, in Asia. So it's a lot bigger. I mean, these detrimental issues are a lot bigger than people realize. Yeah. And that makes it hard, too, because they're 
technically is so many people in countries that are really hitting those five, you know, qualifications for asylum just all over the world. How can we offer everyone asylum? It's kind of tough. Wild. Well, I guess moving on to one, you know, particular headline that's been going on the past few weeks since early, you know, since August is talking about the Haitian asylum crisis. So like that's sort of how we've seen it in the headlines. Of course, that doesn't mean it's necessarily phrased correctly or that it's contextualized correctly. And so I think we want to get a better picture of like what on earth is actually going on? How did this happen? Like, can you give us a little bit of like a snapshot of what this crisis? And again, I feel like crisis might not even be the right word, but situation is that has emerged. Thank you for acknowledging crisis. I have an issue with that word as well. I'm actually writing an article and then I'm using the word crisis and I'm like, what does that mean? You know? And so, and it, I guess it's, it's overwhelming. <laughs> and so depending which part, where you stand, it's a crisis for Border Patrol. Like, oh my gosh, what do we do now? That's when I hear crisis, I hear the question, what do we do now? What is this? Mm-hmm. You know? Great. So giving a, a snapshot from what I, and what I know is no really dif- different from what you have learned from media. Cause I heard about it just watching the news and it's like thousands of Haitians are at the border. I'm like, what? So immediately, let me give you a little background. I'm Haitian American. I was born in Haiti. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And, and so culturally, I'm like, what are we, what are we doing? Like, why are we out there in Del Rio? So that was my first um, instinct. And so, and I was just watching in the news, really confused, really, really confused. Like, why, are, why, what is going on? And then I, and then speaking, and I remember some nonprofits I've worked with in the past and speaking to family members and friends realized that their conditions that they were in, well, first they left Haiti, five, most of them left Haiti about five, six years ago or 10 years since mm-hmm. 2010. They've been like fleeing because of the earthquake and just different, you know, political issues and economic issues in Haiti and went to South America, the Caribbean, Central America, trying to find a new life there. And being black and being Haitian and being in a foreign country that, and this, it wasn't as welcoming, I think, as, I mean, they did the best they can and stayed for as long as they could. From what I understand, from what I've been told in Chile and in Brazil and different Central American countries, I mean, they were trying. And then I don't know what, it's like this beacon came on to everyone's brain, like make your way to, but there's different factors, right? Social media is like, oh, TPS. They're hearing family members are getting protected status in the U.S. And they and then they know Haiti is not an option anymore. So they decide to make their way north. Because America has also promoted itself as the, you know, the greener pastures, like the land of opportunity. And, totally. and right. So it's, so it's natural for them to try to move towards the U.S., any country, mm-hmm. anyone, trying to move towards the U.S. as a place to be to where they can get that those opportunities as well and have a, a new life to start a new life and i in the mass i just think it, it's by circumstance by chance i think there was this mass of of movement towards the north i think eventually they all would have ended up there just to all end up simultaneously that's the crisis right like so that's what became the crisis is the fact that they all there fourteen thousand, as if they all had like this the same email or the same notice, like move to America, move, move north, keep coming north, they welcome you. It just, and I think it'd be, and also too, that the fact that the Biden administration had given, granted TPS, moved the TPS date to a little time frame because it was like for the 2010, only those who were here 2010, and now it's like for 2021. And then they're like, maybe if we come in, you know, they'll do another one. Or mm-hmm. if we, you know, if we try, we try, we try. Even, and I've spoken to family members of clients who told them they didn't even know that they were coming until they were like in the border and saying, we're at the border. And they're like, what? You know, like, so there was like a surprise, element of surprise there for some. I'm sure some of them family members were like, tell them to come, come, come. We'll take care of you, you know, whatever reason. And then the border for a minute was, seemed like it was open to to asylum seekers, especially what was happening in Nicaragua and, 
and Honduras and all the unaccompanied minors, El Salvador, thank you. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, they probably thought they had a chance as well. It just happened that just was overwhelming amount of people at the same time. This might be a stupid question, but where the whole, like, why did they all go to like Del Rio? I don't really know where that is or like what the even geographic logistical points of that are. Can you kind of explain that or like give a snapshot and a, or a vision of why all at that spot? Is there a facility there? How does that work? I have no idea, yeah. to be honest with you. I don't think anyone knows why Del Rio, but, but I think it's also the point of entry or the port of entry okay. is in Del Rio and maybe it's a bigger port of entry there in Del uh-huh. Rio and that's why it was maybe like, the closest one the yeah. closest one right the closest one and so it was natural for them to gravitate towards it okay that makes sense I guess the you know sort of the next question here is what ended up transpiring with the U.S. government and what were, what were you were seeing and can you shed any light as to like how what was going on was legal or illegal. Like, I just feel like the images and the things that we were seeing, like, obviously the U.S. has a long history of fucked up shit. But, like, still somehow, like, every time you see another fucked up shit situation happening that the U.S. government's doing, you're still somehow like, oh, oh, how is this legal? Like, I feel like if I could say, how is this legal? Yeah. Like, every day, like, I'd be so rich. So if there's any context you can sort of give to this of, like, how on earth is this legal? Or like once they got there too, can you kind of paint the picture of like what happened? Like I also fully didn't understand too, like crossing the river needing, they were needing supplies or how did that all work as well? When I speak to my, when I spoke to my clients, you know, like what happened? How did you make it through? And apparently there was a bus. They walked far enough into Central America. There's a bus that takes them to Mexico. And some people saying that there were those who died in the process and they were walking over bodies to oh go God. across. So it's determination, right? If you're determined to do something or get somewhere, whatever little that they had, it just, they like, they went across and like waters. And I, this is years ago, actually had a client who had a two-year-old coming and she was Haitian and I think she was coming from Brazil and she was crossing rivers and she was separated from her child for three days because she couldn't cross the river with the child, holding the child, so someone else was holding the child. Oh my gosh. And they went missing for a while, and it was just insane. Yeah, so this is not something that's new, it's just the mass came together at one point. Yeah. But yeah, be, because it's walkable, right? Like mm-hmm. if it's if it was, if they, if they were really crossing an ocean, it would have been harder, but because they were able to walk it, they were determined to walk it, I think, mm-hmm. and they were determined to go through whatever means necessary. Because I think they had hope. And I think that's what was their motivation. Like, if I if I can make it there, if I can get there, if I can get across the border, everything will be, and that was their motivation. I Because I, I could not imagine, I barely can get on a subway in New York City without fear. And so I'm just that. light of it, right? Like, so, and, but these, I, I it's just unbelievable. Yeah, like back to, to the like, through. how is this legal situation? I think yes, the biggest yes. thing we're talking about too is some of the images we saw of, of the, the Border Patrol the agents. Horses. Yeah. yeah. Um, how is it legal? It's legal because the government allows it. The government government says it's okay. Because if, it, you know, if the administration, in any administration, it's not just Republican or Democrat. I think it's just an um, American government issue when it comes to immigrate immigrants and specifically black immigrants i feel like that's one thing that's bipartisanship on is they just allow it they allow the any means necessary and then they would not there's no accountability there's no no one's saying this is wrong kamala harris backs up mayorkas you know and and his decisions and he backs up the directors in del rio and the directors backs up the the patrol officers so yeah. if you're giving permission to do it, then they'll do it. And I don't and I don't want to demonize just the patrol officers. It's just the whole administration should be demonized for what they've allowed to mm-hmm. happen. That they are saying that it's okay. And it just it's really upsetting. I mean, how it's not le- it's not legal. But if you allow it and you say it's okay, then that makes it legal. Because it's mm-hmm. a concept, right? Legality yeah. is a concept. Like is what we call it and what we deem 
acceptable. And yeah. if the government deems it acceptable, then that's, then it's legal. Yeah, and if the and government's doing it, you assume it's legal because it's the government doing it. It's the government doing it. Yeah. And it's not just, they're not just these one bad apple stories like, oh, just a patrolman. No, the government is one big bad apple, big bad apple tree and that <laughs> needs to be rooted and just needs to be replanted. And, yeah. and no one wants to do that. So, I mean, it's not, it's, it's so that's when it becomes a human rights issue because mm-hmm. the government's saying it's okay. So they were saying, well, then we need to bring in, you know, a human rights perspective. And I've been working with a lot of organizations was like, well, this is inhumane what you're doing. Because if you don't say that, then it's okay to, to treat people that way. They want to bring it into a moral perspective and seeing it as a human rights issue. Totally. Yeah. Well, quick question before, were, so were those officers basically doing what they were doing and really the administration really government as a whole under title 42 is that why it was happened the way it did because they weren't processing regular asylum seekers because of title 42 being in place is that kind of what happened um no i don't think is they were doing it just because of is title 42 and title 42 giving them this or was that like their excuse for now the expulsion is the excuse title 42 expulsion is the excuse for not granting asylum for not even having an asylum hearing mm-hmm. i think that um this has been happening for years and years and years and years and abuse in detention centers have been happening for years and years and years mm-hmm. and no one has said or done anything about it i know it for sure this has been happening because i speak to my clients all the time even in detention centers and some of them to the point where they give up so much, they don't even want to bother seeking asylum in, in the U.S. because of the wow. abuse and the injustice that they they face in the detention centers, in the detention centers and the process it took for them yeah. to be in the deta- detention center. I was like, that would be like an interesting sort of rabbit hole for us to go down a little bit. It's like, what are you working on now with clients? Like, what does that look like currently? Like, is where where's sort of the entry point of of this for you? So right now I'm representing clients that are being um, detained by CBP and ICE in the border. And when I say the border, it spans across El Paso, Eagle Pass, Fort Brown. This is different facilities with, on that Dario area, but you know, some of it is like San Antonio field offices. It's complicated, but yeah, so my so I represent these clients. And when I say I represent them, this is how the process goes. A family member calls me, says, I can't find my family. They were, I was talking to them yesterday. I haven't heard from them in 24, 48 hours. Can you please find out if they were cut by Border Patrol? So CBP, which is a Customs Border Protection. So I would, after maybe like hours of just trying to, every number, any number I can find for someone to talk to me, and when I finally find someone who would give me some information and all I have is a name and, and a date of birth. And so, and, and I was able to locate about 85% of my clients that they were being held by custom, um, CBP, Custom Border Protection. And, and then that's when the fight begins. Like, okay, I found them. This one's in El Paso. So now I have to call the facility in El Paso and get them to speak to me or get me get a chance to speak to my um, client and you know and I get the roundabout like oh no you're calling the wrong section oh no this not this oh no you have to try that number oh you should google it and find a number oh my god I've been told and it's dif- different and this is where it's gone rogue and there's no there's no process I mean there is a process it's just to prevent me from talking to these clients so Gosh. the one would tell me email this person and then we'll be able to speak to you or if you fax me your attorney representation form from this number, then you, I will be able to speak to you. Or, oh, no, 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 no. I have to hear from the prosecution department in Del Rio. So once they email me and let me know it's okay to talk to you, then I will talk to you. So, and different facilities have different processes. So it's so difficult yeah. to fight. And even when I get a chance to speak to my client, and I had a, I had a few clients in Eagle Pass, I had an opportunity to speak to them. And then I did a, a short screening. Do they qualify for asylum? You know, like, why did you come? What's going on? Why, you know, how did the process happen? And then they were explaining their hardships and, 
in different things. And I'm like, okay, so now I know I want to file for a credible fear hearing, which is an interview, which is kind of like, does a fear rise to the mm-hmm. level of seeking asylum? Which, and then the agents would tell me, oh, no, 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 we don't do that here. You need to call this number to do that. And then this person say, no, 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 you need to call that. So I'm faxing the request. I'm talking to someone about the request and no one is getting back to me. No one's answering my calls. And then within 24 hours, my client is deported. Oh my God. Sorry, not the word deported, expelled without a hearing. And then there's someone who tell me, I have to hear from the mouth of your client. They don't speak to the clients. They don't even acknowledge their presence in the detention center. So it was very, very difficult. And someone didn't even know where they were going. They were just being pushed on a plane and they assumed that they were being transferred to another facility. Yeah. And then they find themselves in Haiti. Oh gosh. So, so there's no due process, no kind of process at all. And I had two women that were really, really ill. And my focus was really trying to get them medical attention because mm-hmm. they said they had high fever, they were vomiting. And they sounded weak on the phone. I was just so worried. And they're like, no one was paying attention to them. No one was, they wasn't getting any treatment. So that's how I got in contact with Human Rights First, um, Haitian Bridge Alliance, and Texas Civil Rights Project. That's how I got in contact with them. I'm like, these women need medical attention. How can we get them medical attention? And that was last week, Saturday. And by 5 o'clock that Saturday, by 5 p.m. that Saturday, they were already in Haiti. So... So oh this gosh. is so this is like the fight. Yeah. So this yeah. is a constant the battle. The constant battle, the constant fight. And and there's no rhyme or reason who they keep in the US. Some there are some people who did receive notice of to appear. That means they get a chance to plead the case before immigration judge. And so they were released in the in the US. But there's no rhyme or reason. There's no reason we don't know why that person was chosen why that person's released and some of my clients think i did something magical i did nothing because i've been fighting for every one of them equally Mm -hmm. the same way and it's been really really difficult it's been such a hard process there's no due process whatsoever oh my gosh that Mm -hmm. sounds so rough i mean where where is the situation at now i think you know all of those pictures have subsided the next news story has come along like for people who you know, followed the story when it was happening, but now it's like, what's happening now? And what are things to keep an eye out for moving forward in days, weeks to come on this, on this story? We're still representing, still representing clients down there. They're still deep expelling people. There's like, there's about six flights per day that leaves that area to Haiti. And so, and trying to get information, it was still fighting. It's still, it's still a fight. There are some that's been moved because there's so many people. It's also been moved to Louisiana. So we're trying to represent people in Louisiana now, Georgia, Arizona. So they're moving them further up north. So I'm hoping in terms of those cases, we would be able to have a fighting chance of, you know, getting a chance to hear their story, to hear why they're here, to hear, you know, like to file for asylum. Just to do process. Totally. Do process. That's all we're asking for. And it, as much as it's overwhelming, there's thousands and thousands of people, the fact that they had a system where they had manifest numbers and they had people's names in the dataverse in the system. So it's not as, I mean, I feel bad for the patrol. It was probably overwhelming, but they do have a system. They do have a process, but they're not sharing it. Mm. And that's been really, really difficult. Yeah, totally. Well, to wrap up, how can people help like is there resources that people can look into donate how does this how can people get involved here people can get involved two ways call your congressman put pressure on this administration let your voice be heard um especially if you're congressman who you vote for demand accountability for the admission the people that you elected i think that's the best way shame them shame them for not doing what they promised to do another way if you want to i don't like to give if you want to donate the only organization that i can vouch for right now is the haitian bridge alliance they've been working really hard they've been in texas Mm. working with the people translating helping them transitioning those that were actually released and at a bus stop (laughs) you know just like randomly so they're actually on the forefront just helping people and that's the only organization that i know of and human rights Human rights first, 
is another organization that I've been working with, and I think they're doing a really great job. But my the biggest thing is make your voice heard, make your voice heard in who you elect, and have them be accountable for the promises that they um, they made to the yeah. people, you know, and not totally. ignoring that fact. Okay. Money is good, but it's not it's not as important as you know just basic rights and human rights. Totally. No, I think that's so huge. Definitely reach out to representatives, email, call, do whatever you got to do, DM them, all the things. But <laughs> definitely, yes, make your voice heard always, especially on issues like this that are so crucial. But thank you so thank much you. for coming on. Like this has been eye opening in so many ways and the work you're doing is incredible. So like hats off to you and, and your hard work. And then thank you hats for taking off time. To you too. Thank you. You guys thank are you. incredible. Thank you so much. And we thank you so much for making the time um, to chat with us today. Thank you. All righty. Top stories of the week. We will jump back in to what's happening in Congress and these big, (laughs) these big, (laughs) big spending bills that we've been talking about for months. And now it's it's getting down to crunch time. So. Biden's trillion-dollar infrastructure plan suffered a setback when House Democratic leaders put off a planned vote on a crucial part of the agenda. So basically, they insisted that this was only a temporary setback, and the bill was rescheduled for Friday to vote, giving more time to reach a total agreement on an expansive climate change and social safety net bill. So... Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said a great deal of progress has been made this week and we are closer to an agreement than ever, but we are not there yet. So we will need some additional time to finish the work starting tomorrow morning. First thing. Oi. It's it's oi. And the postponement of voting, shockingly or not so shockingly, was a blow to Biden the Democrats as they have literally spent days to try and make a deal between the parties divisions in order to get an infrastructure bill passed i mean days like just really feels like just shorter than that but i feel like every time we talk about this i've aged 10 years and i probably have said that every time so Mm. anyways it's fine we're fine everything is fine but the house and senate passed legislation on thursday to fund the government until december 3rd which includes 28 billion in disaster relief and 6.3 billion to help relocate afghanistan refugees so There's something. So basically, Congress and Senate have set an October deadline for the completion of both major spending bills. And Schumer said during a press conference on Sunday that he wants to complete both a $1.2 trillion bill focused on core infrastructure and a larger budget reconciliation bill focused on social spending in the next month. And basically, he stated that some of the most significant legislation to help working families since uh, former President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal, adding that while it takes a little time to get them done, Congress is on track to pass both. I would definitely say dangling the carrot of bullshit. Definitely dangling a large carrot. And I don't even like carrots. Those are big promises. And if they want to make these statements, then great. That puts the pressure on them. And... Let's just see. Let's just see if it comes through. Look, like I hate to compare everything to dating, but like it just always is like the best comparison with politics sometimes. And like, you know, it's actions over words more than anything. And we've got a lot of words. We don't have a lot of actions that have been like productive for at least from our our vantage point. Maybe, you know, someone someone on the inside can give us a little bit more scoop. And if you are listening, please let us know. Come on the show. Give us the four on one. But Facebook. 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 I, yesterday, again, with the the shutdown of it all, the breakdown of it all, I was like, are we about to be rid of the root of all evil? Like, I hope. Like, I really thought that was, like, their demise with, with, like, Instagram and Facebook shutting down. But it also came right after a whistleblower came through and came in real hot baby and while my roommate makes most of her money from facebook business deals didn't want her to lose all her money but i really wanted facebook to just completely shatter yesterday (laughs) i yes and i know and i know and i yes on this but i i just think sometimes timing of life is so funny and this one particularly got me in the giggles and we'll talk about who this whistleblower was. This is Hagen, who is a former Facebook product manager. 
went public on 60 Minutes Sunday night. So like, bye Sunday football, hello 60 Minutes. Actually, I think 60 60 Minutes minutes really be getting all the tea. They do. I mean, look, they're known for it. They're known for these big tell-all moments. And like, we love, we love a moment like that. And I just strive to be like them one day. I want everyone to spill the tea on our show. I agree. I agree. And she is set to testify in front of the U.S. Senate subcommittee today. So they have been questioning Facebook's global head of safety, aka as of last week, about the impact it has on younger users, which did honestly create some interesting content. I believe Blumenthal was really confused about understanding what a Finsta was. And (laughs) there has never been a moment that has given me more like boomer moments and that's from someone that didn't know how to use the word bet yeah let me let me pull up the audio real quick so that everyone can get like a quick gist of what we're talking about here will you commit to ending finsta (laughs) senator again let me explain we don't actually we don't actually do do finsta (laughs) What Finsta refers to is young people setting up uh, accounts where they want may want to have uh, more privacy. You refer to it as privacy from their parents. What, what in my interaction with teens, what I found is that they sometimes like to have a an account where they can interact just with their with a smaller group of of friends. Well, Finsta is one of your products or services. We're not talking here about Google or Apple. It's Facebook, correct? Finsta is slang for for a type of account. Okay, it's well, not, it's not that type product. of account. We, I, I'm not sure I under, understand exactly. It's just the boomer status is unmatched in that video. Truly and unmatched. The worst part is like he hardo thinks he's being like tough oh, interrogator. He's like, I'm saving the world. A thousand percent. That was. So incredible. I actually, I'll need to like look, I'll have to go look and see if he has responded at all or, you know, I think as his team, they should really reconvene and like make a joke out of it. The crazy part is too, is like those questions are fully prepared by an entire team of people and they let him out there to ask that question. But anyways, about a month ago, Hagen filed eight complaints with the Securities and Exchange Commissions alleging that Facebook is hiding research about its shortcomings from investors and the public and also show documents that Facebook was aware of problems with its apps, including the negative effects of misinformation, a.k.a. the reason why we're so divided, a.k.a. January 6th, a.k.a. QAnon. But anyways, and also the harm that it has caused young girls. So there's that on that. Getting into this a little bit more, Facebook has pushed back strongly on all of her claims. And that, despite that, the company has faced scrutiny from governments and regulators around the world, but it doesn't really seem to do anything. And she says, I came forward because I recognize a frightening truth. Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside Facebook. She wrote to the Senate committee on Monday, as long as Facebook is operating in the dark, it is accountable to no one and will continue to make choices that go against the common good. There it is. Um, Yeah, I mean, I hope this isn't the end of this. There are more hearings going on this week regarding Facebook, so we'll keep y'all posted. Speaking of spilling secrets, this week is big with secrets because we also have the Pandora papers. It's like more whistleblowers. Is this whistleblower? Basically. Mm, Kind of feels that way. Well, the Pandora papers. So basically, this little... I love how it's called the Pandora Papers. Like, I love a little alliteration moment. So it's just, mm, It is. It's cute. I know, right? Like, see, they, Andrew Yang, I would just like to say, they (laughs) did some good branding on the skin. It rolls off the tongue. It feels right. It's fun. It works. I'm not going to forget the Pandora Papers, but I will forget the forward party. Back to the Pandora Papers, which I'm going to love saying. This basically refers to secret deals and hidden assets of the world's richest, which have been revealed in these papers, aka the largest leaked offshore data in history. And it includes the cache of 11.9 million files from companies hired by wealthy clients to create offshore structures and trusts and tax havens such as Panama, Dubai, Monaco, Switzerland, and the Cayman Islands, probably handled by a guy used to date, but that's another story for another day. 
And they basically expose the offshore affairs of 35 world leaders and shine some light on secret finances of more than 300 other public officials in more than 90 countries. Wild. Wild, Baby. wild, wild. And basically it reveals the inner workings of the shadow financial world and providing a w- rare window into the hidden operations of a global offshore economy, which is just like so wild to think of. And Pandora Papers really makes me think like treasure Pirates of the Caribbean. And then the mm. story just really backs it up. Like, you know, it's such like a it's like Outer Banks or, you know, something just you're chasing this like mysterious it totally Money. does. Like, you know? national treasure. Like, that kind of Na- vibe. Yes, like- national treasure. Totally. But basically, it includes emails, memos, incorporation records, share certificates, compliance reports, and complex di- diagrams that show a labyrinth of corporate structures. So, <sighs> sheesh. Yikes. Yikes. And, you know, everything comes to light eventually. So, alas. And the files were leaked to the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. So, that mouthful. Love that. And it shared access to the leaked data with select media partners, including The Guardian, BBC Panorama, Le Monde, and Washington Post. So, more than 600 journalists have sifted through the files as part of this massive global investigation. If I were them, I really would be, like, wearing, like, a little Sherlock Holmes outfit. Like, I'm thinking, like, a cute little hat situation. Like, I'm also feeling spies. Yes. I'm feeling spies. Yeah, I want want all this. I want a whole movie on this, please. Thank you. Well, you guys, some examples. King Abdullah II of Jordan spent more than $100 million in secret on luxury homes in various parts of the United States. They also exposed a waterfront home in Monaco acquired by a Russian woman who gained considerable wealth after she reportedly had a child with Russian President Vladimir Putin. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> That's the title of the episode from I'm now on. I'm speechless. It's I'm speechless. Putin's baby mama. Oh my god, there's gonna be like freaking snipers at my house by tomorrow <laughs> after saying that. Anyways, it was nice knowing you all. But the Pandora Papers also threatened to cause political upsets for two European Union leaders, the Prime Minister of the Czech Republic. He's up for election this week, so youch, talk about bad timing, and is facing questions over why he used an offshore investment company to acquire a $22 million chateau in the south of France. He too declined to comment, but he did choose to vacation. So, so look, I. A $22 million chateau sounds spectacular. And if it doesn't come with a pool, I, I don't know. If one were to ask me if I understand this story, if I know where they're getting their money, if I know really anything besides, like, it's just a story of corruption, like, I couldn't tell you what's happening here. But clearly, it's spies, it's corruption, it's treasure, and... It's Hollywood. It's it's a Hollywood masterpiece just waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Those are our top stories. That is our episode. If you guys have questions about any of this, about the Haitian asylum seekers to the congressional updates and these spending bills, let us know. Slide on into our DMs. We will answer whatever you have or move it to our next episode and answer them on the show. But slide on in and let us know. And... Do not forget to go check out our event. If you are in the tri-state area, go to the link in our episode description. You can learn more about the event. You can buy tickets. You can send that link to your friends. If you don't live in the tri-state area, you can also go send that link to your friends that do live in the tri-state area and be like, hey, go check this out. Hopefully we'll see you there. Subscribe, rate, review. Do you have any other anything? Nothing? Um, one, one more thing. And okay. that is that if you are interested in joining our brand ambassador program, that hit us up. That part there is a lovely little application form, easy peasy, pumpkin squeezy, pumpkin latte squeezy, you know, keeping it seasonal. Wait, I actually just realized something. What? I just want to talk about the fact that we probably this week or within the last few days hit our one year anniversary <laughs> of this show. I just completely forgot to acknowledge it. So thank you all for listening for a year. I'm pretty sure we are. Let me let me just give me a second while I figure mm. out what the exact date was. Oh, yeah, it was September 30th. Oh, happy birthday to us. <laughs> happy birthday to the pod. We love you and we love all our listeners. Thank mm-hmm. you. And this is just another reminder to go review 
go subscribe and send this to your friends and help us continue to grow and spread <laughs> these very important messages <laughs> around the that world. Putin has a baby mama. That Putin has a baby mama. But that is it for this week. We will see you next week. Same time, same place. Nice radio voice. <laughs> Peace. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.